Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International, coming to you from Taipei, Taiwan. Coming up, we have 50 minutes of English language features, including newsmakers with Tomasz Kopel and status update, hosted by Tomasz and Shirley Lin. But before that, it's time for here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan, the show where we look at some of the stories about Taiwan that don't make it into our news bulletin. If you're listening on Facebook, it's Wednesday, March the 9th. And if you're joining us on shortwave radio, it's already Thursday, March the 10th, by the power of delay. <laughs> I'm Stash Butler, and joining me in the studio is Tomasz Kopel. Hello, everyone. Coming up, Taiwan shows its support for Ukraine with a bit of flower power. And good news for sleepy teenagers across Taiwan after a recent government announcement. And a Taiwanese star finds love after her headline-making divorce. All that coming up. Don't go away. But let's just, let's look at this uh, this whole divorce let's, thing. Yes. Let's let's, <laughs> let's examine this. Uh, start with the divorce. Start with it. Why not? Yeah. Why not start our start Wednesday with a divorce? <laughs> Who are we? Who who's who's getting? So yeah, I mean, let's, there's a bit of background to this story right. that might yeah. So there is a pair of uh, Taiwanese celebrities uh, who are known by their stage names. I guess there those are stage names. Uh, da S and Xiao S. So big S and small S. They're <laughs> sisters. I hope um, that Da S doesn't have like a complex about being called Da. Da. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you call me Da? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it's not something, it's not the, the kindest, obviously it's a reference to her being yeah. the elder S. Um, but I mean, just for context, I have friends at home, both named Izzy, uh, and just the names Big Izzy and Little Izzy have <laughs> stuck for them, um, at least my parents' minds. And it, I just feel for Big Izzy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's not. It's not the kindest nickname. But yeah. Anyway, these are these are two two stars in Taiwan. Yes. Uh, they uh, have been popular in the '90s. Uh, I I know they had a, a hit song that a lot of Taiwanese people know and love to this but they, day. A, a double act. Yes. Uh, yes. I see. I see. Uh, so they they sang a song which was like 10 minute love, uh, which was about uh, high school life, and you know, uh, it, it was about getting <laughs> off from school, and then. Getting off, I guess. I was, I was about to say, I was like, where's that sentence going? Um, Ten minutes. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, yeah. So around okay. that time, the elder of the sisters, Da S, uh, who, uh, whose uh, actual English name is Barbie Shu, mm -hmm. um, she met a Korean idol who was also a very popular, kind of one, one of the precursors of K-pop, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I was going to say. Early K-pop. Yeah, K-pop artist before K-pop, you know, made it uh, to global audiences. And then this kind of fizzled out, and and Da S later married a, a, a wealthy entrepreneur uh, from China, mm. uh, and they've been married for uh, ten years, over ten years, I think. Mm -hmm. And then because of uh, reported or rumored 
political disagreements, uh, they decided to uh, get a divorce, or she announced that she was getting a divorce uh, around three months ago. And yeah, and I think Leslie covered that in in hashtag. hashtag yeah, he yeah. did. So if you if you're interested in that, have a look, uh, have a trawl through our our YouTube videos. Leslie will have a has a feature on that. Yes, in depth reporting on <laughs> in depth reporting the big issues, <laughs> the big issues. <laughs> And then uh, yesterday, uh, she announced on social media that she got married, already got married, to her uh, teenage sweetheart, to that, uh, to the said Korean um, music he's the, artist. He's, he's DJ something? DJ Koo. DJ Koo. Is, yeah. he, is he still a star? Like, is he still kind of uh, relevant I've, in Korea? Uh, I mean, you know, drawing on my vast experience with <laughs> K-pop and yes. just popular music of in course. general. Yeah. Anyone who knows me knows, like, yeah, if you want popular music... <laughs> if you want to know what's in, hot. <laughs> yeah, if you know what's hot, if you know, want to know what's hot, go hit up that 38-year-old <laughs> <laughs> Polish guy. Tomasz Kopper is your guy. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, she announced that uh, they got married and they were uh, celebrating their honeymoon. Uh, wow. Yeah. Which... She only got divorced from, from uh, you know, the previous guy a few months ago, right? Yes. I mean, three was, months ago, yeah. It was, it was, you know, three, three months ago, sorry. Uh, yes. Wow. Okay, that is a quick turnaround. It, it is, but <laughs> apparently things have been going downhill for a while now and the the re, her relationship with her ex-husband mm. uh, has been or had been uh, long distance uh, for a right. while um no, she I was mean, based I, in beijing you know yeah she was based in taiwan um he was very opinionated on the topic of taiwan and the an original announcement about their divorce came very soon after one of his tirades on social media really? about taiwan about taiwan wow so i think this is well you know when you go on social media and present your political views um don't just think about who you might you know aggravate online but also maybe think about who among people close to you in real life might find it objectionable it's a yeah it's definitely an interesting it's an interesting situation in job so this, so she's back together with this 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 korean yes. guy and and she are they in korea i think they're they're moving uh, to korea or? i am actually not sure again this, i think i think um, there's something on the saying they're moving to korea like they're all going to relocate to korea uh it is possible yeah um i know that what what i found the most interesting about that story is that her um uh, current husband dj ku found her by calling her old cell phone number <laughs> that apparently she hasn't changed since they originally dated in wow. the 90s yeah or well, w whenever she got her first yeah, yeah, cell phone yeah. yeah stay in touch which i have to applaud because i've had the same cell phone number uh since high school really yeah i'm still waiting for my phone call from a, a rich and <laughs> formerly <DJ>. influential <laughs> korean Sweet dj everyone's waiting aren't we all just in a way waiting for our for call, our own for korean, korean dj, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so and she yeah and and so you've had the same number for that i mean i i sadly i i recently went back to the uk to discover only to discover to my horror I'd lost my my original UK Ooh. phone number, which is really sad. Yeah, because I had it since you know since I got a phone for the, the first time, and yeah, and now it belongs to a guy called Carl. Uh, <laughs> so if the Korean DJ tries to call me, they're only going to get Carl, and he'll be very confused. Well, I hope Carl is a nice guy. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe they'll hit it off. Maybe. So use it. And this and this whole idea of having the phone. 
for you know having the same number. Right. So this has spawned a, a whole plethora of memes in in the Taiwan um, social media sphere. Uh, people are now saying like, "Hey, I've had the same phone for twenty years. Where's my Korean?" <laughs> um, there there are images. Uh, you know the the usual sort of meme. Top text, bottom yeah. text uh, format, uh, which uh, yeah tend to be pretty funny. Like, <laughs> I really do like the the humor that Taiwanese people exhibit in situations like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. very quick to make very funny memes very often. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's just it's so so hilarious. I mean, it, it, so this this guy, I mean, I imagine in my head he just you know he saw news of the divorce yes. and then he was just like, and it was like now my straight, end. yeah, he was just like. <laughs> That's mine. It's yes. my time. My time. <laughs> it's like, Which, yeah. You know, to be fair, who among us hasn't at least considered something like that yeah. when we learn that an old flame has, you know, separated from their partner? I, I was, yeah, when I was back in the back in the UK, uh, yeah, I, 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 I met this, um, uh, actually, a, a girlfriend of a, a guy I know, but they, they're now broken up, but they were together kind of five years or so. Uh, and she was just kind of rediscovering the dating scene. And mm-hmm. she was just like, the archives you go through the well, she calls them the archives it's basically the, the people that you may you had like a briefing brief kind of contact with you know there was a there was a spark um now's your moment mm-hmm. like that's the best she was like no no forget dating apps forget you know speed dating or whatever go to the archives have you ever been on the receiving end of of being in one someone's archive? Like someone calls you out of the blue, like you know, I five years. I actually have, you know. Okay, it's quite flattering. Really? Yeah, I, I've I've had some, um, some some very very flattering kind of messages from people who I like. To be honest, like, uh, you know, hadn't really thought about much in quite a long time, and then it kind of forces you to reassess everything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like, oh wow, that puts my whole time my whole time knowing this person into a different light um but anyway yeah i mean props to dj dj cool and uh mm, s yeah barbecue um yeah hopefully they'll they'll find happiness i mean they're still young people you know uh, she is in her 40s he's uh, in his very early 50s 52 mm. i think so yeah um still plenty of time to enjoy each other's company So, Taiwan has been uh, showing a lot of support for Ukraine. Yes. Um, that's something, you know, the Taiwanese government has jumped on uh, the bandwagon, so to speak, when it comes to um, announcing kind of economic sanctions on mm-hmm. Russia. I mean, in terms of the effectiveness, I mean, Taiwan's role in those sanctions, I think it's probably fair to say it's not the most major um, role except with semiconductors. Um, Taiwan, you have to remember, is uh, a, a global powerhouse when it comes to chip manufacturing, mm. chip forging. So cutting Russia off, uh, even to a degree, from that source uh, is a, a painful measure. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think for the Taiwan side, we don't. Uh, Taiwan doesn't get a lot of things from Russia. I think there yes. is there's a bit of gas, possibly natural gas, but uh, broadly speaking, I think a bit of vodka, a bit of vodka, of course, yeah. <laughs> naturally, but. Uh, Taiwan is showing its support. Um, uh, the government has set up this kind of, the foreign ministry rather set up this fund for yes. for Taiwanese citizens to donate. I think it, the last time I heard it was around three million US dollars. Oh, uh, ten. 
10 um, already has already been uh, no sorry uh yes uh, you were right it was about 3 million that was recently donated yes right. 100 million yeah, taiwan dollars that's it's, what i was thinking we're always converting yes. it's it's a nightmare here yeah. i mean do you think in taiwan dollars <laughs> yeah. uh, it's wherever it's you're from <laughs> yeah <laughs> it would be very unusual our, our listeners from bangladesh yeah. and india They're and pakistan do you feel <laughs> do you think in anti dollars <laughs> um, but there's also been kind of shows of support um, from the kind of civic groups and, and from kind of people uh, more generally um, and that's come in, in, in light displays Taiwan had lantern festivals recently yes. and you know, lanterns de- decked out in in, uh, in blue and yellow which are the colours of, of Ukraine uh, Politicians also are coming to uh, demonstrations I don't know if the, anyone came out to the demonstration that uh, on, you on were Sunday, or, uh, 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 on Sunday they were I was there so You were there on yeah, Sunday I, I saw The one I was at there there weren't uh, I didn't see any, you know, legislators, mm-hmm. but I know that was it. Wang Ding, you was uh, yes, right. uh, I mean, uh, was it, uh, and then also Freddie Lim was there. He's oh, an right. independent. Yes, no, he was. Um, yeah. um, KMT uh, was represented by their uh, youth league uh, chairman. I, I oh, think yeah. uh, someone from their youth league. The youth. Um, yes, um, there were also NGOs. There were, uh, but you know, uh, first and foremost, there were uh, Ukrainians uh, living in Taiwan uh, who were the first to speak. Yeah, yeah. But there's, yeah, but we're also getting kind of shows of support in lots of different places. I mean, you see, yeah, like I said, you see blue and yellow everywhere, and you also see blue and yellow on flowers. Yes. Um, that's using nanoprinting technology. So nanoprinted orchids, uh, specifically. So Taiwanese orchid vendors have produced white orchids, and then nano printed them with blue and yellow how does that work exactly it's a really good question i I mean i don't really know a lot about uh nano printing but what it says it says inkjet nano printing it just uh it's just able to produce softer colors Mm -hmm. um but in terms of the actual kind of process i'm not really sure i don't do you know have experience with nano printing? Let us know. I yes, mean- <laughs> let us know. We are two hosts from Radio Taiwan International who each have a technology-centered show. <laughs> Please enlighten us. <laughs> let us know. Yeah, <laughs> nano printing. I mean, obviously, you know, printing on a small scale. If I, if it were me, I just could have stick these things through a printer. Yeah, through a printer. <laughs> through a printer. You, would, you would think that would flatten the stem I somewhat. I think you would have <laughs> quite a lot of problems with your printer <laughs> if you tried to put uh, an orchid through it. It gets jammed between the <laughs> rollers. Think, also, orchids are very, like, delicate flowers, yes, right? famously. I'm not sure they would survive <laughs> going through a, a normal, you know, HP printer. Uh, yeah, I, I, nothing survives going through an HP printer. <laughs> Bank account balance the foremost of yeah, those exactly. things. Yeah, uh, exactly. So the, these these uh, orchids showed at the Taiwan International Orchid Show and they were actually presented as well to Taiwan's president, President Tsai Ing-wen, and Vice President William Lai as gifts according to the Taiwan Orchid Growers Association Secretary General. It's a nice gesture. Um, I, I think that every little bit counts um, right now and, um, you know, donations are fantastic, flowers are symbolic but still yeah. still good i mean uh, actually there's an update on the 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 fund the foreign oh. ministry fund here it's actually reached 11 million us dollars now oh, wow okay. so it's gone up up to 330 million um, Taiwan I, dollars. yeah i only read about the the the, the first uh, amount that yeah. was transferred it was yeah. it was it was quite a quick thing um turns out taiwan is actually uh it's uh orchids are an important thing for taiwan actually mm-hmm. incidentally where it's one of taiwan's most important agricultural products um so? sold, sold for a value of 4.5 billion nt dollars uh which is uh, quick calculation somewhere in the ranges of tens of millions of dollars 
Um, still I, significant. I, I mean, I have no idea how much orchids cost. To be honest. Well, whenever whenever I hear about flowers uh, in the context of money and how much they cost and how much the industry is worth, I'm always shocked. <laughs> like, I mean, they're nice, but they're flowers. Yeah. Like, what do you mean, four point five billion? That's that? the thing. I think it's because, like, you know, because you at least for me, I don't buy flowers very often. So when I do, you know, I I kind of don't mind. Not that I actively want to spend more, but if mm-hmm. someone's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. these cost like, I don't know, like 40 US dollars or something for these flowers. I'm like, oh, but fine. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess that's maybe it's because they're such a kind of like specialty item. They can just kind of put a put a big mark up. I don't know. I'm yeah, like, we're we're really not presenting ourselves in the best light. Like, <laughs> hey, we barely ever get flowers. <laughs> yeah, I don't get. We're, we're both in long term relationships. We buy flowers. Married. Jen Delari is also uh, writing in about the previous story about a mobile phone, saying, "I got my very first mobile phone number in 2006 back in Austin. Now I moved to Seattle. I kept the same number, including the Austin city area code. Austin's still home, and I'm glad I still have that number." Well, um, I I don't know if that is the case uh, with uh, phone numbers in the United States, cell phone numbers in the United States, uh, because that was kind of before or after my time. Um, but uh, in Poland, they don't have an area code. So you only have the country code wherever you take your phone. Right. You can't tell that it was oh, like, from one city or another. What about the UK? I think you can, you can in the UK. It's something I actually like I never realized, but in London, at least, they all start. I think uh, with 0207 or 0208, at least mm-hmm. for for landlines, that oh, is. Yeah, oh, landlines are a different thing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, of course, oh, okay. landlines I think, do have area codes. I think mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mobile numbers. I think I think don't. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's the same. Um, but I didn't even realize landlines had them until like until I kind of heard my first my first landline number from outside of London. I was like, hey, what? That's <laughs> what kind of number is that? It's an 01. But oh well, you are a bit younger. So, yeah, you <laughs> there was a probably landline. did not. Yeah, there was a landline <laughs> there w- somewhere in the attic. There still, was a thing. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Tomash, are you a night owl or a what's the morning morning lark? Early bird. Early bird. Uh, yeah. Morning lark. I don't know. Whatever it is. The, whatever morning is. bird. I, I <laughs> see. I am a night owl, so I never know what kind of birds are out and about in the morning. So I don't know the expression. Yeah, I'm. Yes, I'm. An, I would definitely clarify myself. You know, as a night owl as well uh, not as much as a night owl as you though i think from what, from what i've I actually recently i've started going to bed earlier oh yeah just because i'm, I'm tired yeah um, and i tend to fall asleep in bed while reading a lot oh, more really? than in the past interesting which uh, i guess shows my age are you, again, are you, are you, yet again <laughs> are you one of those people that do you always need to fall asleep to something um, no, I can fall asleep sauté, uh, <laughs> so to speak, so vanilla to speak. sleep, yeah. but I, I do like to read in bed. Yeah. I do like to read in general, and um, very often I feel tired, but my eyes are not yet sort of drowsy and sleepy, mm. so I read just to tire my eyes out. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I I know people, like my, my grandfather, for example, always needs to fall asleep listening to the radio. Oh. And some people I know also will... Uh, not off watching TV and watching TV and so on. Um, so I, I did suffer from tinnitus. Um, oh, really? Uh, before you did. I mean, I, I I still do, right, but okay. I have kind of learned to cope with that. Yeah. Um, but what I used to do is put on very quiet music in, uh, in the room, usually something without a beat, kind of spacey electronic yeah. stuff, 
um, and that would make my brain focus on the sound rather than the sound in, in my ears. And the have ringing. You, have you always been this way? I mean, like, let's 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 do as a prelude to the story. <laughs> I'm, this is going to be a seamless transition. You're not even going to feel it. It's going to be like a smooth, smooth curve. Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. So we're going to ride into this story. How about when you were in high school? How mm-hmm. how did how did that how did you experience that? Was, uh, it, was it painful? Do you have to wake yes, up early? Waking up it was painful. Uh, classes in Polish schools, uh, as a rule of thumb, start at 8 a.m. 8, uh, right. Yes. In high is, school... Is that, is that across for all schools? Yes. Right. Uh, so classes start at 8 a.m., but it, it that's not to say that your classes will start at 8 a.m. because you might have the first one or two periods off because of scheduling or right. whatever. So, uh, yeah, but 8 or 8... 59.30 would be the, the usual um, right. times when I started my days in high school. And, and, what, and it was yeah. painful in all three cases. What time would you normally wake? Let's say let's go for high school. What time would you wake up for high school? Uh, uh, seven, I guess. Seven. Uh, yeah, it, it was like a half hour commute. And yeah. I was okay with being late because <laughs> I was that kind of student. <laughs> yeah, I think I was probably a similar time. There, was, there are periods where I woke up at like 6.30, but... I think I ended up by the end. I was waking up nearer to seven. But what time do classes start in the UK? Ah, uh, so for for my like secondary school, so from eleven to eighteen, uh, the first class, if I remember correctly, would start at like eight forty-five, eight fifty. Okay. That's nice. Um, I think it was eight fifty actually. Uh, but then you know you'd have to be in for registration at eight thirty or eight thirty-five. Um, registration. Yeah, just be like I'm here. Oh, okay. Uh, in in your like. Form group. I don't really know why they couldn't just register you at the first lesson, but yeah. uh, anyway, bizarre thing. And I, I would okay. much rather have gone in. But I, here in the US, though, it's like it's way early. It's like seven, I think, which is barbaric if you ask me. But I also it's understand wrong. how this is a, a, a boon to parents who need to drop their kids off at school and then get to work. And you know, Americans yeah. often also start work. Yeah, pretty early. No, I mean, I, I but you know, Taiwanese students also suffer from this kind of thing. And I yes. mean, to be honest. I, I, I do really sympathize with Taiwanese students because mm-hmm. the hours they go through are pretty wild. But um, considering that often they go to cram school after school. But uh, according to the education ministry, they've announced a new rule. So before, students would come in at 7.30, 40 minutes mm-hmm. ahead of their class time. That's no longer allowed. Because before, you would have tests, essentially. Right. Or study time before school started. I just, I just like sounds who let, fantastic. That's just not, that's just not on. No, I'm not having that. <laughs> so I'm glad that the education ministry is doing. That. I mean, it, it's a small step at least. Eight ten is still early, I yes. think, in my opinion. Yes, it is. But yeah, I mean, high schoolers, sleepy high schoolers, which there are a lot in Taiwan. I see people falling asleep on, on like. M- on the MIT, on MIT a yeah, lot. yeah, it's it's very common to see uh, people uh, or teenagers uh, wearing school uniforms because that's a thing in Taiwan. Yeah, uh, kind of dozing off on, yeah. on the bus or on the MRT. I mean, I felt bad. I I, I tutored English for uh, this girl who's a high school student, and there were times I and she was you know she was a good student. She was very like engaged and stuff. But there'd be times that I was like talking to her and like <laughs> you know when you're really tired <laughs> and like your eyes just start crossing because you're. <laughs> I'd be talking to her and I'd notice like her eyes just starting to like glaze over <laughs> and she's like, like, like that exhausted. Mm. I, just, I just don't think anyone. 
I, I, I do feel for them. But because, yes, classes start very early. Then after classes, there's uh, very often organized study time at school or extra, you know, kind of makeup classes, what have you. Yeah. And then afterwards, uh, cram schools where yeah. students learn English, I guess, predominantly, but also math, other subjects, too. Chinese, you know, whatever they struggle with. It's 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully that keeps going. It gets later and later. And then, at least, yeah. From, from I mean, like if you're a student in Taiwan, very often you don't see daylight. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Good yeah. on them anyway. Good on them for changing very it. Very good. Yes. More of that. Step in the right. <laughs> anyway, you've been listening to here in Taiwan. Uh, we've got more coming up for you, newsmakers with Tomash uh, and a status update with Tomash and Shirley coming up. I'm Stash Butler, and I'm, joining me is I'm Tomash Copper. There you go. Uh, tune in again, again. We'll hear from you soon. <laughs> Newsmakers, a look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Newsmakers. In today's show, I will be presenting a profile of a foreign politician who nevertheless has a lot of influence on Taiwanese politics. I'm talking about the former U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Pompeo was in the headlines in Taiwan this week, over a year after his tenure in office ended, following a four-day visit to Taiwan which began on Wednesday last week. But before we get to the visit and what Pompeo said while in Taiwan, let's take a look at the man himself. Mike Pompeo was born in California in 1963. In 1986, he graduated first in his class from the West Point Military Academy where he majored in engineering management. For five years after graduation, he served as a U.S. Army armor officer in West Germany. His military career saw him go from tank platoon leader through cavalry troop executive officer to squadron maintenance officer. Pompeo ended his service at the rank of captain in 1991. After leaving the army, Pompeo studied law at the Harvard Law School, where he obtained a Juris Doctor degree. He was also an editor for the Harvard Law Review and the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy. After graduation, he worked as a lawyer for a Washington-based firm before moving to Kansas, where he established a company called Thayer Aerospace thanks to a substantial investment from the somewhat infamous Koch Industries. He sold his shares in the company in 2006, after which he became the president of an oil field equipment manufacturing company, also a partner of Koch Industries. This partnership would later be strengthened by regular and substantial campaign donations. Pompeo's political career took off in 2011 when he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives for the 4th Congressional District in Kansas. Pompeo won three subsequent elections for the seat and remained a member of U.S. Congress until 2017. 
During his tenure, he sat on various committees, most notably on intelligence, energy and commerce, as well as the CIA. In late 2016, President-elect Donald Trump chose Pompeo to be the next director of the CIA. He was confirmed by the Senate soon after Trump was sworn in as president in January of the following year. The fact he did not disclose links between his company in Kansas and Chinese government-controlled firms stirred controversy when it was discovered the following year. By that point, however, Pompeo had already been announced by President Trump as the successor of Rex Tillerson in the role of Secretary of State, United States' top diplomat. As State Secretary, Pompeo was described as a staunch supporter of Donald Trump. Of note is the fact that he had once been a vocal opponent of Trump, even going as far as calling him authoritarian. He came around on the controversial president only after Trump was confirmed as the Republican nominee in the 2016 election. It would go well beyond the scope and time limitations of this program to discuss Pompeo's actions as Secretary of State even in brief, but what mattered then and matters still to Taiwan is his relatively rigid stance towards China, as well as strengthening relations between the US and Taiwan. Shortly before leaving office in January 2021 to make way for Joe Biden's incoming administration, Pompeo lifted long-standing restrictions on contacts between US officials and their Taiwanese counterparts. The United States does not recognize Taiwan diplomatically and such official contacts had been limited in rank and scope before the policy change in order to avoid angering China. The Trump administration, which Pompeo represented, increased the amount of arms sold to Taiwan as well as introduced legal measures representing American commitment to maintaining the status quo in the Taiwan Strait. Pompeo came to Taiwan on Wednesday last week and stayed until Saturday. His visit was preceded by an unrelated bipartisan delegation dispatched to Taiwan by U.S. President Joe Biden. He was received with pomp, awarded the Order of Brilliant Star by President Tsai Ing-wen for promoting bilateral ties, met with Vice President Lai Ching-de, as well as a number of other officials and business representatives. A welcome message was even displayed on the Taipei 101, Taiwan's tallest building, and on a billboard put up by a city council candidate in Taichung City. During his visit, Pompeo expressed support for official diplomatic recognition of the Republic of China, which is Taiwan's official name, by the United States. During a speaking engagement on Friday, Pompeo said this. America's diplomatic recognition of the 23 million freedom-loving Taiwanese people and its legal, democratically elected government can no longer be ignored, avoided, or treated as secondary. It is my view that the United States government should immediately take necessary and long overdue steps to do the right and obvious thing that is to offer the Republic of China, Taiwan, America's diplomatic recognition as a free and sovereign country. This statement obviously made headlines and elicited strong reactions from both sides of the Taiwan Strait, generally praised in Taiwan and lambasted in China. Unfortunately, Pompeo did not take questions from reporters following his statement other than a handful of ones selected in advance. Many wanted to ask whether the issue of diplomatic recognition ever came up during his term in office when he was still in a position to influence policy. On that note, some see Pompeo's visit to Taiwan as part of his bid to win the next presidential election in the United States. They say the warm welcome he received in Taiwan is a way for the Taiwanese government to hedge their bets, in case his challenge to the incumbent President Joe Biden in 2024 succeeds. With constant threats coming from a powerful and belligerent neighbor, it's hard to blame Taiwanese people for appreciating words of support, 
regardless of what motives underlie them or which side of the political spectrum they come from. This brings us to the end of this edition of Newsmakers. Join me next week for another look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Hello there. You just tuned into In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and I'm here with Cassie Cho, yeah. who's an independent journalist and also audience strategist. She's also the founder and editor in chief of Almost, which is an Instagram-first media outlet uh, focusing on world news stories for young people. So let's welcome Cassie. Hi, Cassie. Hi. Okay. So happy to be here. Yes. Now you said that you um, studied uh, uh, communications. Yes. Right. And this was um, actually in New Zealand because you wasn't it? Uh, no, I I grew up in New Zealand. Oh, you grew but, up in New Zealand. Um, I studied uh, communication studies at UCLA in the states. Oh, in the states. Oh, okay. Right. 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 And then, but you didn't stay in the states though. No, I just went there for college, yeah. and then I came back to Taiwan, um, mm. where I got my first job out of college at ICRT, the <laughs> other radio the station, other, yeah, the other English radio station right. in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I was a news anchor there. News anchor. Oh, okay. And you were there for three years. You were saying something uh, like that. I think it was around almost two years. Okay. All right. Did you like that? Yeah. I mean, it was really.、Uh, I think like I've always been someone who wanted to work in media because I really like you know sharing information with other people, and I really like people. And I think and the whole thing that the whole point that I got into media was because it's really cliched, but I wanted to like change the world and like do something, <laughs> make it a bit better. And I always wanted to you know be a teacher actually. And then I remember in high school I was talking to my teacher about this, and、um, he said, "Have you thought about journalism because you can reach a lot more people and like." 
um, bring about sort of more larger scale change. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then I sort of looked into it, and then that was why I went into communication studies. Oh. Um, but yeah, it was cool to be able to sort of wor- actually like work in a media job outside of like writing for the college paper. Oh yeah, right. Of course. So um, you were thinking about becoming a teacher to to teach journalism? No, just teach like kids. <laughs> okay. So you also like kids too? Yeah, I like kids. Um, I like you know just being able to you know help people to learn about the world. Are you more into reading news or writing news or or talking about news? I don't know. I just want to、um, ask you this: reading, writing, or Talking or anchoring or anchoring. <laughs>、um, I think I like all aspects of it because I think there's different aspects of it. Like like each thing has a different、uh, specialty to it,、mm. a special thing to it. Where it's、okay. like you know when when it's reading, it's like okay, I'm learning about something that I potentially may not know about. And then if it's writing, it's like okay, now I'm. Putting into process like the thing I'm processing the things that I've learned and I'm trying to break it down in a way that makes sense for other people and I'm trying to explain what the concepts behind it and what they need to know and then when I'm anchoring it's about you know how do I deliver that as well in a way that also visually sort of makes sense or you know orally、um, if you're on radio for example. <laughs> it's really interesting that your teacher、um, you know suggested that you study journalism because she thinks that. He, she, he. Yeah, okay. That you can reach a bigger audience because you want to change the world. In, in what way? I mean, how old were you when you're thinking about changing <laughs> the world? How old were you then? First time when you thought we have that thought. Um, I don't know. Probably quite young. I think I just like read a lot of books and watched a lot of movies and consumed a lot of media. So I was like, you know, you know. And then you watch these like really feel good movies where they're like, oh, you know, look at this person who was able to like, you know, bring about this change and like make things better for everybody.、Oh. And you know, I really sort of was really that sort of resonated with me. And I think as someone who just really likes people, I think that was just like you know being able to see that you know, for example, you've helped someone with something, you've been able to teach someone something that they previously didn't understand. That really sort of brought me a lot of joy. And so I was sort of like, oh, you know, d- teaching kids is something that I always sort of was doing anyway. Just teaching kids English,、um, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed seeing them grow and seeing them sort of learn about the world and you know shape their own perspectives and you know form their own opinions and all those sorts of things. So when you say that you want to change the world, you actually want to change people, or I mean, or I the environment. Like, <laughs> I guess like people. Are well will shape you know the future of the world. So、right? you want to become another world changer.、Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if、uh, yeah sure. <laughs> Never、okay. thought of it that way, but <laughs> yeah. All right. So now actually you are the founder of、um, Almost.、Mm. Um, so it's this Instagram first media outlet. Now why the name Almost? Sure.、Uh, so it was a. I really struggled with sort of coming up with a name for it at the beginning <laughs> because,、um, you know, it's. You know, you could have like very sort of generic names where it's like world news or something, but I, you know, wanted it to <laughs> no, be a little bit more、that. than that. And、yeah. obviously, one of the things that I really focus on when I'm sort of working as a journalist is always thinking audience first. And so, the audience of almost is young people and especially young women, because as we've sort of seen, you know, young people are the ones who are like taking to the streets and like protesting and like instituting change and like you know bringing awareness to all of these issues that you know they sort of. They, that like you know the world needs to know about, and so、um, I ended up choosing the name almost because it's basically sort of targeting、um, audiences who are sort of in between a stage of like you know then they're like. Kids, they're not quite kids, but they're also not quite adults. So they're、uh, sort of, and、uh, young women especially who are sort of in this state of like almostness. And then it also sort of reflects the、um, 
the type of content that we cover, the stories that we cover, because it's about people who are fighting for a better world, who are um, sort of that's like almost there and trying to make it better. Because a lot of the topics that we cover, we lean really heavily into like politics and like social justice and human rights um, and women's rights and all of these issues that you know are about sort of fighting for like a more equal world. Hmm. It's interesting that you want to focus on you know like bringing the world news to young people so they can understand in a better way. Uh, to me, it sounds like you know. Are you using simpler English to make it understandable to the young people? Then, uh, yeah, I think it's 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 sort of like that, but it's a little bit more complicated. Where it's like. We want to, first of all, the tone you speak to the audiences is really important. So obviously, like, we don't want to be, like, patronizing or condescending or talk down to our young audience and be like, oh, this is too complicated for you. Like, don't worry about it. You know, mm-hmm. you're too young for this. But it's more just, like, sort of making sure that we speak very conversationally and we speak very, like, genuinely. And so um, a lot of times the headlines and, like, the way that we write and the way that we sort of position topics is very sort of, uh, it feels very personal. So it feels like, oh, it's like a friend who's telling you about something that that they learned today versus like, you know, uh, headline headline speak where it's like, oh, uh, five casualties confirmed in shooting sort of thing. Like that's not something that people would say in real life. We might mm-hmm. be like, there was a shooting here and there were five, and then five people are dead, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's very, and then it's also sort of how the uh, stories are presented visually. So sometimes we'll create um, videos or we'll use photos it's not just necessarily like here is a 1000 word article mm. um, which is also super important obviously right. um, but it's more sort of thinking about where young people are spending their time and then like the strengths of those platforms like Instagram and TikTok for example are super visual so it's like how can we use these visual formats in order to um, you know and adapt that for our sort of topics to make sense for the audiences on this platform so it doesn't feel like you know, if I'm scrolling along on TikTok and then I see this like really super polished video, I'm probably not going to engage with it because it feels like an ad. But mm. then, you know, if it feels natural, it feels like something that I would see, you know, amongst all of the other videos that I'm seeing, then, you know, young people are probably going to be more mm. likely to engage with that. So I think there's a lot of sort of factors at play here where it's just really sort of trying to put yourself, put your audience first and then sort of understanding, you know, as how do they spend time on these platforms? How do they consume the news and how can we, you know, Take, deliver the news to where they are mm. in a way that makes sense to them. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. I'm speaking with Cassie Cho, the founder and editor-in-chief of Almost, which is a Instagram-first media outlet focused on world news stories for young people. So actually... Young people all over the world are like going on your platform to understand, um, should I say, news in Taiwan? Yeah, I think... uh, But you do also cover international news, right? Yeah, yeah, we cover um, world news. So basically, um, uh, we don't really focus as much on U.S. news because there's already so much, you know, Mm. U.S. media is very saturated already, you know. And so we focus on sort of uh, telling stories of like underreported and, you know, sort of underrepresented uh, communities and their stories. So like we try to cover stories from all around the world where it's like, you know, places in Africa and Middle East and Southeast Asia and Asia. Um, We're based in Taiwan, so we do have 
have we do tend to cover a lot of news from Taiwan mm-hmm. um, because we're here, and then also I have a soft spot in my heart for New Zealand because I was there. So obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of New Zealand news as well. Um, but I think in general, we try to make sure that we're just sort of showing the diversity of human experiences that sort of exist around the world. Because I think from my time of having covered the world news for like I don't know、uh, three or four years now, I've sort of just seen there's a lot of sort of Commonalities, even though like you know every in, every community has its own struggles, has its own stories, has its own history and experiences that are very unique to it. But there are a lot of like commonalities that run across you know continents, countries,、um, you know where it's like you know people, women around you know women in Poland are fighting for their rights to abortion, as are women in Ar-、um, in Argentina who actually legalized abortion at the end of 2020,、um, and Latin America for example. And it's just really interesting. And then you know to see that like. I think it helps people to see that you know you're, you're not so alone in like your fight, and that there are you know there's, there's sort of this like unifying thing where you know people around the world are all trying to sort of make the world better in a way.、Mm. How do you go about、um, collecting all these、um, international news stories that you might want to do it in a day? I mean, there's so much, but. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning?、Um, you, yeah, <laughs> tell tell me,、uh, you know, a, a day's life of Cassie. Sure. <laughs> well, I force myself out of bed. <laughs> no, first of all, I check my phone. So obviously,、um, check all my push notifications, see if there's anything like important news that has happened.、Um, so I read like a lot of the news that, like, I read the New York Times, I read the Guardian, I read the BBC, CNN. I basically do a skim of like everything that sort of happened overnight in terms、mm. of like world news and. Then I also make sure that you know we're spending time on social media, where like we're also looking at news that isn't necessarily that mainstream media has covered, because you know there are a lot of these like cool stories come out of like social media, where it's like oh just this average、uh, this this mom in I don't know in、um, I don't know Poland decided to do something nice for her kid and went viral or something like right, that. Right. And so、um, we I also check like social media, so I check like Instagram and I check TikTok and I check、um, Twitter and、That's、Facebook. That's a lot of checking. Yeah, there's just a lot of like by I, yourself, just one person. Um, I do. I have a team、um, okay. who also help, and so every day, everyone just sort of, if people are seeing stuff, they throw stuff in, and so. How、um, many of you are on the team?、Uh, I have a team of, I think, around six or seven people who are part time、okay. who、okay. work with me on August. Yeah,、um, and、wow. yeah, a lot of them are students、um, mm, oh. who are also, you know, keen to learn about news and yeah. media.、Um, yeah. Oh wow. Actually, now you were saying that you're doing this like on TikTok and everything. So how how long is each news report that you have in a day?、Uh, um, so if it's like a video, usually we keep it under one minute. Mm, so that's、okay. sometimes a, a challenge because you're trying to break down a really complicated topic. Like you know, if there's like a coup somewhere, you have to like explain the history of the coup. I know,、um, and then sort of like all the events that have happened around it. So I think actually working in radio really helped me with this, like scripting, <gasps> where you have to write in really short sentences yes, for radio、yes. because people forget what you've said by、right. the time you reach the end. So <laughs> I think that really actually my time at ICRT really helped me with like being able to write in really concise ways. Yes. Um, so yeah, thirty minutes. I'm、oh, sorry, not thirty minutes. Thirty seconds, <laughs> seconds to like one minute, and、yeah. then if it's like an Instagram carousel, it's like you know we've got a headline, we've got like photos, probably like ten photos, and、okay. then like we're limited to two thousand two hundred characters on the Instagram caption. Oh, okay. I thought you you kind of like. Set that yourself. No, no, no. It's Instagram, Instagram. Like, you can't post longer、oh. than two thousand and two hundred characters. <laughs> I see. Okay. And besides, I think it's a plus that the fact that you talk very fast. 
Yeah, I do. I know. I, this is an you issue. Know, you can cover a lot in a minute. Then I think I you talk yeah because so uh, I didn't. I I don't think I used to talk this fast. But then <laughs> I started having to post stuff for Instagram. Um, previously, I was doing this series on at, while I was at BuzzFeed. Um, it was called Woman Crush Wednesday, and basically every Wednesday I was running the BuzzFeed at World account, which was also sort of covering world news. Every Wednesday, I would sort of um, I'd highlight three to four women who were making headlines around the world that week sort of uh, to serve the young women audience to give them role models and sort of mm. you know let them understand you know the struggles that women are facing and all the accomplishments that they've made um and it was it was an instagram stories series and that was limited to 15 seconds per slide and so oh. <laughs> i had to talk about one woman in 15 seconds and so that's probably like two to three sentences but you also <laughs> want to be able to cover that so i think i just trained myself to talk super fast now and <laughs> i struggle really to slow down it amazes me how fast Cassie talks, but she's just perfect as a journalist then. It just amazes me too just how she hardly stutters, but it's obvious that she really loves her work. Well, tune in again next week as we continue to speak with Cassie Cho, the editor-in-chief and founder of Almost, an Instagram news media for young people. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you'd like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kHz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International. Music